Well, the title of this uh, message today, we're, we're obviously flowing through the um, uh, theme of prayer. Um, I'm not sure if you've uh, tapped into one of the previous ones this year. Obviously, it's a new year, um, and uh, this is the focus for this month, and I think it's a good focus. Um, I mean, prayer, to me, is the lifeblood of who we are as Christians, and uh, some people, they say they struggle to pray, and I say, well, you need to get closer to God. Because when you get closer to God, you naturally want to pray. It's the natural outworking of the human condition is that we want to communicate with someone bigger than ourselves. And this is what separates us from the animals, right? We don't see any group of monkeys coming together, bowing down and worshipping some sort of chief monkey in the side of the jungle, do we? You know, they're not building big temples and edifices for their God. Um, this is a human condition. This is something that separates us from the animals in the planet. We have been designed, designed sorry, to communicate, to connect with someone bigger than ourselves. The question then is, who is this person that we are to connect with that's bigger than ourselves? And that's the great question for humanity, right? That's the great question for each of us. Some of us have found that answer. Others are sort of floundering around a bit around the edges trying to find that place. Um, so anyway, the, the title of this message today is um, A and E and the first P. So it sounds a bit complex, but it's probably not what you're thinking. So has anyone been to accident and emergency before? Well, this has nothing to do with that. But I know if you have been damaged badly in an accident and you, know, and you have to go to A and E, one of the first things they do is ask you to pee. Can you pee? All right, you know, if you've had an operation or something, quick, get on there and show me that you can pee, you know, and that's, you know, shows that the waterworks are working well and everything is in order in your life, right? So that's enough to do with that, but just throwing that out there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I believe personally is the first prayer in the Bible. Um, there's a bit of debate about this, um, but I've got the mic so I can say what I want to say on this. Um, but if we turn to, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3, that would be fantastic. And uh, what I want to do is take a bit of the conversation that Adam and Eve had uh, uh, when they were hiding from God. We know the story. Well, perhaps you don't. But the picture is, is that Adam and Eve are in this incredible garden. Everything's mint. You know, everything's perfect, though. There's no blemishes in any leaf on any tree. And somehow the serpent comes into the garden, this, this being that uh, tempts them to do something that they shouldn't have done and disobey God. And we know this, this scene that is that God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day and communicate with Adam and Eve. And this is the first dialogue. This is between God and man. Like Up to this point in the book of Genesis, God is speaking to, but this is now inferring that God is speaking with. There is communication happening uh, from the supreme being who's walking through the garden in the cool of the day with his creation. And it's really important to recognise that because the basis of all prayer is simply a conversation, right? The basis of prayer, is, it's not complex. You know, it's us communicating with God. And, and the essence of prayer is one-on-one. -on -one. Like we could be in a group of a thousand people and maybe you've been in a conference or something like that, a worship event before, where there's thousands of people, but somehow even in the, that dynamic of the atmosphere and the group of the people, it's actually you and God still that is connecting one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, so the essence of prayer is us communicating and dialoguing with God. 
I believe Jesus had this in mind uh, in his teaching on prayer in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, when you pray, notice not if you pray. So there's this onus on us from Jesus' teaching that we must be people of prayer. You know, it's not an option. It's not, a, it's not enough to lead it to the pastor or to the person that's more eloquent with their words in your family, if perhaps English is your second language, or if you're in a country where, uh, you know, for example, my girlfriend, Terumi, she speaks Japanese, and sometimes the conversation's a little bit, you know, awkward between us because we don't know what the heck we're each saying to each other, right? You know? Sometimes even when you're talking to someone in English, you walk away and you think, what did we just talk about then? <laughs> but luckily we talk to a God that knows all things and he can somehow interpret our crazy sort of words that come out of our mouth. And let me tell you, it is a bit crazy in there at times, isn't it? Let's be honest with, with all ourselves, as strong and as bold and how confident that we are in knowing God, we can walk in this fragility um, in that we are still a human. You know, we're still eating and breathing. We still have the issues with family. We still have the issues at work. We still have the issues in relationships. We still have the issue when you open the fridge and pull out the milk and, oh, no, it's a few days overdue. <laughs> Can I try this? No, it's a little bit lumpy. I'll leave that to uh, pouring down the sink. So Jesus had this in mind, of course, in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, when you pray. So what I'm trying to get across here is that prayer is the essential thing in our lives. One great hymnist put it this way, that, that prayer is the Christian's native breath. And I like that thought. Prayer is the Christian's native breath. You know, our native tongue is actually prayer. We think it might be English or Samoan or, you know, or, or German or whatever it may be, but our actual native tongue, first and foremost, is prayer with God. That's our native breath, should I say. So Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet. Anyone got a closet at home at your place? Yeah? Uh, have you ever lived in a room where there is no closet? I have. It's a real bummer, eh? Because you're trying to hang things and it gets a bit out of control. Um, when I grew up, I mean, the terms usually came out more if someone was coming out of the closet. Now, this might have referred to some are maybe saying, hey, look, I'm gay, or maybe, hey, I'm showing myself in a new light, some sort of different light that I'm currently in. Um, it could have been my old mate, who I won't say his name, but uh, I'll call him MR for you guys, when his sister woke up in the middle of the night to a sort of a noise like this and discovered that he was actually peeing on her shoes in her wardrobe while she was dead asleep. So he was told to come out of the closet in a big hurry, I tell you that much. So this is the opposite of this, though, just to raise that memory from your mind. I'm not, I'm, I must say, I think it was a little bit more than sleepwalking. There was something a little bit, probably some intoxicating substance that was in his veins as well, I think. But all I do know is that he had some bruises on the side of his face that looked a little bit like a stiletto heel that had probably come out of the wardrobe. <laughs> so Jesus says, anyway, he says... Go into this closet and pray. When you pray, go into the closet. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And we see, I mean, this is fairly simple stuff, but we need the simple, right? I mean, it's about setting time aside, shutting the door down on all the other distractions and actually connecting with the Creator. This is the essence of what prayer is. 
I mean, we all know what that's like, right? It's so easy to just get caught up in the day, get caught up in the week. Sometimes you go by a week and a half and you think, flip, have I actually connected with God? You know, I mean, I don't know. I think that's just us as humans at times, eh? We have all these best endeavours. We get excited from a sermon one day and said, oh, you must have this quiet time at 5am in the morning. By the third 5am, you're, you know, you're asleep and you, and you actually get some good sleep through the prayer time. Um, you know, our, our, our great challenges, I think, is to keep, keep, the, keep the momentum up in prayer. Make this time where we can step into this, uh, step into this closet, step into this inner room and start to pray and connect with God. This is what we see in this opening account in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Catch this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How flippin' cool is that? You know, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that. I love that thought, hey? Is that God is walking into this garden to communicate with his creation. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, This, my friends, is the beginning of prayer. This is what I believe is the first prayer in the Bible. The interesting thing is that it's the first time that anything's mentioned in dialogue from God to man or his creation, and it's just after the fall. Very interesting timing. When I say the fall, I mean this is after they've disobeyed God by eating this fruit of this tree in the garden, which he said not to eat of. So we notice that part of the experience, uh, this first prayer suggests the fall, uh, but what I, what I like about this verse here is it seems to point that this was a daily thing that happened. You know, it wasn't you know, a bi-monthly thing or yearly thing. This was something that happened daily in the cool of the day, that God would turn up and pray. Uh, sorry, God would turn up and communicate or dialogue or uh, conversate with his creation. And as God comes into the garden in the cool of the day to converse with his creation, it seems that he appears as a man because we see that he's walking. And this is the other incredible thing about God. I mean, we serve this God that actually identifies with who we are. He presents himself as someone like us, hence why Jesus came, you know, literally took on the flesh um, of man and walked and connected with us and died on the cross. So God will appear, even though it doesn't say it, we can see here that they knew he was walking. I mean, when you talk about walking, it's about man, right? So God turned up like a man and the sound of his footsteps reminded them that, hey, now is the time that we need to connect with God. And, uh, I mean, that's my prayer. I don't know about you guys. I always find I, I think it's me coming to God. But this is the great thing that we're going to see as we study this a bit further, is God is always the initiator. We are never the initiator. We think we are, but it never actually works that way. So prayer starts with God. The Lord comes into the garden and calls out for man. It's that simple. This is the first mention. There's this rule and biblical interpretation, and they call Genesis the seedbed of the Bible. This is where it all starts, right? So when doctrines are formed, when things are formed through the Bible, right through to the book of Revelation, they'll often take what's written in the book of Genesis first, because there's this picture, 
there's this glimpse into principles in God that start, and they call it the, the rule of first mention in the Bible. So here we are, here's this rule of first mention that God is dialoguing with his, uh, with his created being. This first mention that God comes into the garden first and calls out uh, to the man. Romans 8 uh, teaches us this. We do not know what to pray for as we should. This is uh, Romans 8, 26. Have you ever felt that way? Overwhelmed by a situation, but the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Has anyone felt that way before? Sometimes, sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to connect with this Creator. I mean, we're just like, well, God, what, what have you even got me here for, you know? What's the purpose in my life? You know, I mean, look, I'm 52 flipping years old. Surely I'd know all the purposes and have it all together by now. But guess what? You know, you still get pimples in your 50s occasionally. It's like embarrassing stuff. I thought I got over that when I was a teenager. But no, it happens all through your life, believe it or not. Strange things go on. But the Apostle Paul here, he says, it begins, he begin, uh, the Spirit of God begins to pray through us, so that our hearts become the prayer room of God himself. That's a cool thought, isn't it? That the spirit, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God starts to pray through us. The Spirit of God prays to the Father, and he who knows the mind of the Spirit listens and acts according to it, to what the Spirit prays. So we, you know, I mean, it's a crazy thought, but I like to think of ourselves as instruments, like I used to play in bands for years, trumpets, cornets, you know, brass instruments. Later on, I sort of dabbled in guitars, but I was too rough and got kicked off the stage. Um, and uh, But I believe God has made us literally to be like instruments. We are this temple. You know, he chooses to come and tabernacle with us. We've been he hearing this teaching over this last year that God comes and tabernacles inside our lives. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a building. I mean, God, we are the building, you know, and when we come corporately together, all of a sudden we have this dynamic of where two or three people gather. Guess what? There's just this intense increase. One chases a thousand, two chases, uh, chases 10,000. You know, there's this crazy mathematics of God, which just is, well, there is no logic to it because when we think about the mathematics of God, nothing is impossible. You know, the, the impossibility is generally in our mindset. So we see that we're made as, as, as this instrument. We don't know what to pray necessarily, but he gives us the ability to pray through the Spirit of God uh, being deposited in our life. So that's the biblical picture of prayer that I believe. It begins with God, and if we feel a need to pray, it is God who plants that desire in us and we respond. So here's this first you know, here's God entering the situation. We think we're praying, but it's God putting that desire into us to connect with the Creator. It's interesting, even in the book of uh, Genesis, it talks about uh, when, it, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and, 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 uh, and, and all of a sudden the godly line, everyone's reproducing, having babies and all of this type of thing, and, and, and society is growing. And then it says that men started seeking the presence of God. You know, because God's put this divine deposit within our life, you know, to, that there's something greater, there's something more, and that's how he communicates with us in that spirit man. So this is the first great truth on prayer, I believe, in the scriptures. 
is that God plants a desire in our heart. God, it begins with God, he plants the desire, and then we respond to him. Prayer is a relationship, as we know. It's not based on some formal sort of um, procedure. Um, you know, I mean, you imagine if you say King David, you know, he obviously had many, many children in the Bible. He had a lot of wives. I know that much. I don't know how he did it. But anyway, uh, you know, his kids, even though he was the king of Israel, and many people would come and formally address him, you know. Other people from, you know, uh, ambassadors would come to him and they'd approach the throne in a certain way of respect and speak a certain way. But I bet his kids would have been like any other kids. You know, if he had young children, they would have probably just run in now, and, now and then into this glorious throne room and dumped themselves on his knee and he's halfway talk, through talking to the ambassador from Egypt or, or the Queen of Sheba or something. I, I don't know. I mean, you know... This is prayer, right? It's about relationship, and, and the formality has to go. Because um, God's not into that formality. God's into real people. You know, he wants to connect with his creation. Exactly who you are. You know, he doesn't want to connect with you talking in words that are replicating what someone else says. He wants to connect in your own language, in your own spirit. You know, exactly how you communicate. No matter how that is, it doesn't matter how good your English is, doesn't matter what your understanding of the Bible is, it's the fact that he wants to communicate with his creation. So let's not get formal about it. So we notice in the scripture something more in this account. Sin had entered. Um, Adam and Eve were hiding. The, the informality was gone. In other words, you know, there was not this casualness of being able to just liaise with God and talk with him in the cool of the garden. All of a sudden, they, they felt the separation, this avoidance from God. And, uh, but God, once again, he steps in, he takes the initiative to correct things, and he begins to address three big questions to Adam and Eve. And I believe these questions are absolutely relative to each of us individually today as we sit here or as we watch online. The first question was, where are you, Adam? Genesis uh, 3 verse 9b. The second one is, who told you that you were naked? Genesis 3:11a. And the third one is, what is this that you have done? Genesis 3 verse 13. Look, Jesus was always asking questions of his disciples, right? This is what I love about Jesus. He was always making these announcements that made people think, right? Like, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. Then he walks off stage and everyone's thinking, what is going on here? You know, is this guy a psychopath? You know, what, what is he talking about? You know, like he, he asked questions. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is the ultimate question ask, answer, uh, asker. And, it, and the whole purpose was to arouse this investigation, right? It was to stimulate you into finding out what he actually meant. And then in the answering to that question, often it would be addressing what the hard issue is in your life at that very moment. Now, that's the tricky part. Because the, the deeper you dig, you realise, oh, all right, God wants a little correction in my life. You know, there's something here that needs a bit of a, you know, that wall needs to be broken down and that needs to be opened up. That little bit you've sort of separated off in your life, right? So, I, I'll, just quickly, the book of Job is incredible. In the 38th chapter, God summons Job and says to him, I don't know if you know the story, but he lost all his family and friends. Satan went before God and said, look, this guy's righteous, you know, he'll never, you know, disobey you, blah, blah, blah. 
And so anyway, lost all his family. His wife was abusing him. His, his friends were starting to harass him. And God summons Job in 38, and he says, Stand up now and gird up your loins, Job. In other words, what he's saying is, Lift up your pants, tighten your belt, man. Suck that stomach in, boy. I want to talk to you now. And sometimes God needs to do this in our lives. You know, he needs to get real with us. You know, we cry out to God with some pretty crazy prayers. Why can't he cry out to us a little bit, you know? Get a bit of emotion. I mean, we serve an emotional God. We just don't want to be on the wrong side of something, you know, if he gets overly emotional, right? <laughs> but he's very stable. He's got a very good emotional like you, God, has. So stand up and gird your loins. And he remind, reminds Job, because Job was on the, you know, on the, in the rubber stump, scratching sores. He had boils over him. You know, he was at the very bottom of the bottom of the pit where he could be. And Job had asked him some questions. And he said, if I just had a chance to talk to God, I would like to ask him about what he's doing to me. And God says right back to him, all right, Job, but first, guess what? I'll ask you some questions. And this is the cool part. And he opens up in two chapters of questions. You should read it. Job chapter 38 and 39. And there's some of the most incredible scientific questions that, that I believe has ever been asked of an individual on earth. It goes through all of these things. And guess what his first one was? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> Let's see, I'll pull the rug out of the carpet, right? You're already at the bottom scratching your, you know, your sores on the dump and dogs are licking your wounds. And then he pulls the rug out again. Where were you when I formed the foundation of the earth? That was only the first question of two chapters of questions. Incredible stuff. And we see in the final part of the account, finally, we see Job falling on his face uh, in the dust, crying out, I despise myself, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then, guess what? God starts to work in his life. He blesses him, he prospers him. You know, as, you know hundredfold more. You know, everything just is, is blessed in his life. But he had to get to this point where God started asking him questions. Something similar is occurring here in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are hiding. They don't want to know God or talk with him or see him. But God himself calls them out and asks some questions. Firstly, where are you? Is there any more important question in life? And can I say this to all of us today? This is what we need to be asking ourselves on a very regular basis. Where am I? Where am I? Because this is the question that God asks Adam and Eve. Where are you? And us referring to ourselves, we obviously say, where am I? Because if we say, where are you? That's bad grammar. <laughs> Although sometimes I think there's a few of me floating around. But uh, that's another story. That's in my head. Um, so where, where, where am I? Great question to ask yourself. Where am I? Look, if someone was going to your place... Right, you know, they never. You've shifted into a new house. They don't know where you are, and they got the address or something. Originally lost it. Whatever happened, they're on the way. Can't remember the address. The first thing they're going to ring up is, "Where are you?" You know, or "Where's your Addy?" Right? That, that's what you do, right? If, if this is if obviously Google Maps wasn't working or whatever, or maybe you're using an Apple and the maps are that useless, that it doesn't work anyway. I'm not sure. Um, sometimes they do, but. Uh, you know, this is the question that we would ask, and we have to ask that frequently. 
Look, Adam, I picture Adam in this part there. He must have struggled. You know, imagine Adam. He's obviously realises that, that he had been, he'd done something wrong. And he says, well, here I am, Lord, here in the bushes, you know, feeling shame. I'm naked. I'm deprived and I'm away from you. After having who knows how long this interaction with God on a daily basis in the cool of the garden, all of a sudden he's hiding in the bushes. I don't know about you guys, but I think we all have our hiding in the bushes moments, eh? <laughs> Hopefully not because we're stalking someone and trying to scare them or something, you know? I think it's genuinely, um, you know, we all have those moments when we're hiding in the bushes, eh? We're just shouting ourselves from God. We're trying to think, oh, hopefully God doesn't turn up today. <laughs> I wonder if he'll see me just after I did that thing, you know? I mean, we, we know, hey, we don't have to be told. This is the dynamic of us. We're spiritual beings. God dwells in us. And sometimes we kid ourselves that, hey, we can just sort of do a few little things and maybe God won't notice it. He dwells in you. I mean, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere in the earth at any given time, right? If you're on the back of the moon, he's there. If you're on the back of Mars, he's there, you know. He's already in the future. He's, he's already in the past. He's right. He doesn't dwell in time. We're the ones that are in this time, this planet sort of revolving around to the rules, right? God is not limited by any of this stuff. So he's hiding in the bushes. And I know for a fact we have difficulties in our life. And guess what? God is often yelling out to us. He is speaking to us. And often it's in those most difficult times. It's not by chance that more people engage with God when they're in hospital, when someone's died, when there's been a divorce, when someone's lost a business, when someone feels like they're going mentally insane, whatever that thing is, often that is the time when God is yelling at us to get our attention. Sometimes we're so stubborn as human beings, you know, we have to be brought to this place where we actually humble ourselves before God and surrender those areas that we know we're doing that are wrong but we just keep entertaining it, you know, we keep feeding those little areas, eh? And look, I'm not standing up here saying I'm perfect, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of grey areas in my life, but I'm working on it, and I'm, and I'm bringing it to God, you know? Um, I'm surrendering those areas to God, and I know we're all the same. So Adam stammers out in the answer to this in verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Secondly, who told you that you were naked? Now, this is a real perceptive question. I love God. Well, I mean, if God doesn't know, none of us do, right? But, let, let, you know, this is a perceptive question. He says, who told you that you were naked? And I think we all know in our mind there's only one person that talked to them outside of God on the cool of the morning. Who told you that you were naked? Just imagine the scene. And I know it's hard to, right? I mean, probably the closest I've been to this would be walking down a beach behind um, Takapuna Grandma, not realising it was a nudist colony and everyone was running around. That it was some sort of freaky sort of beach area down there. It had signs up, watch out, there's nudists around. We think, what? What do you mean? This is just the beach at the back of the high school in Takapuna. Hello, it's a whole nudist colony. And uh, so we walked through that pretty fast, you know. It was, um, it was a bit of a zoo experience, let's say that. And um, 
I mean, so you guys must. Has anyone had that experience? Anyone been to a nudist beach? They don't encourage it. Oh, there's one down the back. And um, yeah, I won't, won't carry on on that one. But anyway, where was I? I got distracted there. So they were in this perfect setting. The birds were singing, the grass was growing, and they were in the complete nudie rudy and didn't even know it. <laughs> I mean, that blows my mind the fact that someone can be in that space and not be aware that they're naked. But this is how glorious this place was. Um, and then suddenly, without any visible outward change, suddenly they're fooled with shame. Because of this fact, God, question implies, somebody has been talking to you and told you that, and we can all guess who it was. So God has led Adam and Eve to this understanding that there is a tremendous need in our life to discriminate in the voices we listen to. Look, if there's anything you take from this today, this is one of the big ones. We've got to discriminate between the voices that we listen to. There's so many voices in this world shouting out things. You know, you're not good enough. You're too big. You're too small. You're too tall. You're too short. You're too average. Whatever those things are, there's always these voices coming out. And, and the incredible thing in what God did here is he stepped into the situation and he removed the illusion and he showed that a voice other than he was talking to them. Look, there are voices that we must not listen to. The voice of someone other than God. We've got to be first and foremost seekers of the truth, seekers of God. Look, we can go to our spouse, you know, obviously we can go to our uh, wise counsel and all of these things, but first and foremost, we need to connect directly with God. Then as we come together with other people, then the dynamic changes, it gets more powerful, right? Um, thirdly, what is it this that you have done? In response to this, Adam and Eve back began the age-old blame game as we all know. Oh, Adam made me do it. Eve, he made me do it. Or, oh, you know, Adam to God. Oh, you let the serpent into the garden. You know, that, that it's, this, it's the same old story, eh? It, ne- it, ne- <laughs> it never changes. You're to blame. This is the start of that natural tendency that every one of us feels to minimise our guilt. You know, like when you've done something wrong, and you know it, and, but then you try and blame it onto someone else. So easy to do, isn't it? So easy to do. Um, reminds me of car trips when I was young. And, um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of flatulence that's left off in the car. And everyone's going, no, you did it, you did it, you did it. But you always know who did it because they're the ones that don't wind the window down and they're smiling slightly, you know. We're all, we're all in this blame game. We're all, we're all the same, eh? I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the, the fragility of, the, of the, the human nature. But the incredible thing is that the most incredible thing in this whole story, I believe, is the final, something that's not really what we've been talking about so far, but there's three little words, and they're of great significance. Both of them end their feeble effort of this justification, right? With these words of acknowledgement, They both said, and I ate it. They both came to this acknowledgement that they were the ones to blame. Yes, we did it. We ate the fruit. We were forbidden to take of it, you know? It's a little bit like when, 
when you're a young child and you've done something, you won't admit it because of your stubborn pride to your parents and they know that you've done it, you know, and, you, and, and you know, you're trying to hide what you've done and then you just get to the stage, oh, I just can't hide this anymore. You know, then you come out, oh, no, no, I did it, I did it. You know, and, and mum and dad almost laughing at you behind them, but they're trying to act compassionate. But they knew all along, right? So the incredible thing is as soon as these three words were announced, the change was instant. God stops the probing questions. The scene ends and we see, we see the end of the scene that God actually sacrifices an animal and clothes Adam and Eve. You know, we just see this grace and this compassion and this forgiveness, this everlasting forgiveness. This, this is the first mention here, right, of the shedding of blood in the Bible when this animal was, was slaughtered to cover Adam and Eve's sins, and which was a picture of Jesus Christ eventually having to die on the cross to cover for our sins. So the lesson for us, I believe, from this bit of Scripture is to learn that it is in the act of prayer that this permitted God to break through the confusion of their situation. And it will do in ours as well if we allow God to speak into our lives. It gave them an understanding and to accept his forgiveness, grace, and restoring love. This is what prayer is all about. This is the essence of prayer. It's, it's a way of bringing us back into relationship with the Lord our God. And I think we'd all probably agree with that. We know when we're in the wrong place. We know when we're not engaging with God. And uh, the best thing we can always say is, I did it. I ate it. I'm the culprit, God. And then God will just step into our life and clothe us with his forgiveness, eh? clothe us with his mercy and clothe us with his grace.